Welcome to Exploring Innovation, a podcast where we discuss innovation in large, mature organizations. My name is Tobias Eklund, I'm, I'm your host, uh, and today we're going to talk about fear, teamwork and innovation. And with me, I have a guest whose name is Rich Nadborny. Hi, Rich. How are you? Hi, Tobias. I'm good. How are you doing? Just fine down here in the south of Sweden. Give us a brief introduction of uh, who you are and what uh, brought you here. So I am the newest Hello Futurista. I am an innovation lead, and I started working here on October 3rd. Yeah, welcome. Thanks. Nice to be here. So let's hear about your background. Uh, uh, why? Why uh, g- Give the audience a hint to why I've invited you to this podcast. Okay, so my, my long-term background after I, I got through my wasted youth was um, I worked in the digital space from the mid-90s, you know, through the 2000s, digital marketing and digital mm-hmm. strategy. And, you know, around 2011, I stumbled over this thing called design thinking, which I thought was amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you, know, as, as, you know, as I started discussing it more, it turned out that the stuff that I was doing, very customer-focused, very interactive I was basically using a lot of the tools for design thinking without even knowing it. So it was good to have a name for it. And also, <laughs> you know, it got me realizing, oh, I can use this for a lot more than just, you know, digital stuff. Yeah. And, and it led me uh, in around 2012, I started incorporating more of these design and innovation techniques into my work. And um, my, my colleague and I, our biggest client was a financial institution, a local bank in Vermont, in the U.S., up yeah. in the Northeast, you know, beautiful Vermont, small, rural, but still the home of Ben and Jerry's and Burton Snowboards and, you know, very creative. And this local bank was, you know, holding its own and even growing against all the big competition, right? It was all the national banks and the international banks, lots of consolidation. And uh, we were responsible for their marketing efforts. Yeah. Uh, and and one of the things I started doing was I started incorporating a lot of customer workshops into this work. We we're trying to figure out what are we going to do and what are the themes. And so I was doing these customer workshops. They were really about the future of banking workshops. We brought together a bunch of different customers and different groups and have them kind of work together in small teams to create visions of what they really wanted for the bank. And so out of that came these really interesting thoughts around new services we could develop or new customer experiences. We pitched it to the the leadership group. They liked it. And finally, we were at a discussion with our client, the marketing director. She was pretty new and her boss, the director of operations. And we said, hey, you know, we'd like to take at least a third of our marketing budget and put it (laughs) to, you know, developing actually services that could make you more competitive and experiences. And the marketing director, the marketing director (laughs) listened for a sec and she said, you know, I'm not going to do that. You know, I have my I have my goals and my list and all the things that I've said I'm going to do this year, and that that's really not part of it. And so, you know, and really what we understood her to be saying between the lines was she had her checklist, and if she didn't fill in the checklist, she wasn't going to get her year end a bonus, which you know would be pretty sizable. And so then we turned to the director of operations and said, well, what about you? Could you get us a budget to do this? We think this is really going to you know help you out. And 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 the director of operations said, well, you know. It was the same thing. I'm not going to give you any of my budgets because, you know, she was waiting for an even bigger bonus at the end of the year. 
And so that was that was kind of the shift. I shifted away from digital into you know design and innovation because I realized I was having the right conversation with the wrong people. Yeah, there was you know? no one on the receiving end. Yeah, it was, it, but but it ties in, I think, really nicely. <laughs> now you know, <laughs> ten years later, we're st- I'm still dealing with kind of these same things we're going to be talking with today. What's driving people of this? You know, it's it's fear of change. It's you know, the power of working with teams opens up lots of opportunity, and yet, you know, we still have to find people who will who will listen to this and who will, who will be brave enough to try something new. So that. That's a continuing challenge in all of our innovation work, right? I recognize this. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting. So, so uh, when you, when you, well, you sort of pitched this episode uh, to me, and you said, "I want to talk about fear." So let's let's go into that. Why why is fear such a big factor? Why, you know, what's uh, the main reason for us to to dedicate basically? A whole episode on on uh, this. I think you you really touched it in your your first story here, but give give us more in depth of your take on this. Well, you know, I thought we'd talk today about how how fear holds us back from daring to innovate, and we we you know we mm. saw this even in that old example. It holds us back, and and so that's one thing I want to talk about. But not only fear, right? The reality is yeah. we can we can create a culture of innovation by creating and building things together, right? This, this, mm. this teamwork, even if it fails, we still, we still move forward. And that the third thing I want to touch on today is like everyone has a role in this, but let's uh, you know, be aware of experts with quotation marks because mm. you know, they, they can uh, sometimes make this work a little harder. So, but, but fear, right? Let's, we, we start there. It's such a human yeah. place to start. And, and, the reality is, you know as well as I, Tobias, that when we work with innovation and change, it means we're trying to do something differently because we know that the same old ways of working aren't really producing any new or different results, Yeah. right? We know what they produce. And mm-hmm. most, most organizations and the people who work in them, they spend our days in well-worn routines and ways of working. We want safe and predictable and efficient and comfortable, right? These are yeah. all the things every organization strive for. You probably see this even more working in big organizations. Yeah, this is what I, I like to call the industrial paradigm. Accountability and, and uh, everything has to be planned and accounted for, and, and which, which you know, makes it impossible in one way to speak about, you know, to, to do innovation, because innovation means that you can't, you can't plan the results ahead. Right, but this was our, yeah, but this go, was go. the paradigm. You're right. The paradigm of the 1900s yeah. was yeah. industrialization and manufacturing. We start with scientific management, and we end up with you know Six Sigma. Right? It's all about mm. it's all about efficiency, and and then all of a sudden the organizations we come into the 2000s and all the organizations realize that the world's changed. Right? The customers change, the competitions change, the markets change, the technologies change. Everything's changed, and then everyone's like, oh my gosh, we got to start innovating. Right. We, got, yeah. we can't keep doing the same thing because there's, you know, we're not making we're not as successful as we were. And, and that's where really the hard work comes. We try to create something new and valuable through these innovation efforts. And, you know, we see most of these efforts, they fail despite the good intentions at the beginning, the, the ambitions and the goals, the inspirational work. They don't really match up with our day to day work. Yeah. And, and one of the things we find is that if you want to create these sustainable and valuable innovations, you have to deal with the biggest obstacle that stands in our way over and over again, which is fear. Mm. 
It's one of our yeah, that's ba- true. right basic human emotion. It the, the reality is fear affects so much of what we do, much more than we're we're you know aware of or we realize. And that for every change or transformation or innovation effort, people in organizations will feel even more fearful than usual. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a quote uh, I found by Elizabeth Gilbert. She wrote Eat, Pray, Love, and now she does consulting on this. And she, she says, fear is always triggered by creativity because creativity asks you to enter into realms of uncertain outcome. And fear hates uncertain outcome. So if we That's think really about good. Th- if we think about that every time we say oh we have an innovation effort oh we have a digital transformation effort that's uncertain what's going to happen mm. and we get fearful and then yeah. we start over planning and things don't really work we've all been through this yeah been there done that right McKinsey did a study and they found that only three percent of workers feel fearless. Right. So so 97 percent. Right. There's a room of 100 people uh, in the room and only three of them are brave and everyone else is just, you know, is full of our fears that are holding us back. And, you know, we've we've all been there. Right. What are we afraid of? Yeah. And if everyone's afraid, why aren't we doing more about it? So and what, what are what are we afraid of? Oh, gosh. You know, we're afraid that if we say the wrong thing, our coworkers or our managers will think less of us or look at us critically, you know, we're afraid of embarrassing ourselves. So this is true in, in most of life. Sure. We're afraid of yeah. embarrassing yourselves. And, you know, we, I see this most of all in my kids, right? They're afraid that their parents are going to embarrass them. And this is my, my daughter was doing this even when she was like three, right? I remember I started singing at her daycare and she like three years old, she clapped her hand over my mouth. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, that was yeah. that was I early. Think, I think most parents have have stories like that. Um, good training, it's good embarrassment no. training, right? And we kind of got to get over us. We're afraid of embarrassing ourselves. We're afraid mm. that our managers will give us a bad yearly review, or they'll say, "We're oh, you know, he's not a team player," right? Or mm. you know, we're afraid of conflict. Mm. We're afraid that people will get angry with us. We're afraid of looking stupid. We're afraid of getting fired. Do you see a big cultural difference here? I mean, you 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 are from the states, uh, and uh, you've been, you're like a multi-culty kind of guy. Um, do you see a big difference in how you handle fear in, um, for example, Sweden, where you work, and the states? Is there a big difference? Yeah, no. I, I would say that people all over are afraid. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think they're less afraid. I think in the U.S. we're a little less afraid of conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and in Sweden, it's very uh, Swedes are very conflict averse, and and I think Extremely. mostly yeah. uh, it's they're you know afraid of sticking out, afraid of people getting angry at you. I, I find that it's like oh, the worst thing you can do is get angry at someone. Right. Mm. That's like, I don't know how you get back from that. And so in the U.S., we're much better, you know, we're much more used to it anyway. Uh, mm. my, my college roommates and I used to talk. We, we loved arguing and we had, a, we had a saying, we couldn't even agree to disagree. Right. It was just kind of part of our, <laughs> we love disagreeing with each other. It was really good practice. And, and yeah, That's, it is culturally and, yeah. different. I hear the yeah. Danes are a little bit better at it than the Swedes. I don't know. You're closer to Denmark, are they? Yeah, no, they're they're much less conflict averse. That they they uh, they're not afraid of raising their voice. But in, in the Swedish context, that does nearly never happen. It 
it's it's extremely extremely uncommon to to have uh, real disputes in in the workplace or in the family or anywhere so yeah there's a lot to be afraid of it is there is a lot to be afraid of but the simple truth of the matter is that it's you can't create meaningful innovation if you're held back by your fears and and you know i would say a little fear is usually a good thing as long as it spurs us ahead rather than inhibits us from doing this we see this a lot in in creative people there's a fear they have a fear of failure and they kind of overcome mm -hmm. it through their creativity where most of us kind of back away and, yeah. and this is innovation work. It's, you know, we have both uncertainty and opportunity. And if we feel that the uncertainty overpowers the opportunity, we let our fears rule. And mm. let, you know, let's face it, it's impossible to remove all uncertainties. Yeah, right? especially in, in this kind of work that we want to do. Yeah, yeah, we can't. We're not going to get rid of everybody's fear, but we can reduce their effect on us. So how? Well, you know, as innovation leaders, one of the things we have to do, one of our main responsibilities, I think, is that we have to be consistently aware of the fears of the people we work with. And this is true not only in the beginning of projects, but especially in the middle and toward the end. And we need to create a space where we can be open about our fears and share them, you know, which is pretty scary in itself. Right? <laughs> and, mm. and so that means that we as individuals and leaders, we have to show the way to lead by example. I can't, we can't walk into the room and say, okay, Tobias, you know, tell me all your deepest, darkest fears and share that with the team, right? <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to do that. And, and I don't know, Tobias, you know, you've probably done this too. We start off a project, we have hopes and fears. And people yeah. give us a little taste of their fears. And then, you know, it's a piece of paper. We, we, we nod at it and then we forget about it. And so we've got to keep bringing this up throughout the project. And the simple, not so simple thing to do is we got to start talking with the team individuals, both one-on-one -on -one and in groups. And, and the way that we might do this, probably should do this, is we have to start by telling about you know, our fears ourselves, that we have to be the role models and be honest and even share something that hurts a little. Um, I, I had heard, uh, I've seen these uh, icebreakers, which I think is really cool, where you ask people in the beginning of a project to share something that was really embarrassing for them. And what, what yeah. they find is that that helps, that helps loosen a lot of the, the fears in the room. And so one of the things I try to do is I try to start by sharing stories about failed projects and, or my fears, right? What are my fears are? And you know, I, I have fears every time I go into a project. I fear that the work will be boring and ineffective because I can't inspire people to put in the effort. You know, I, I fear that I'm not going to reach people or that I'm going to be impatient with people who don't really care, even though they probably need more care. It's like, you know, you're in this room of people working hard and there's always like one guy or girl who's they're on their phone or they're on their computer and they're just not giving any effort to the team. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, the, the, the fear is that you say, hey, you know, will you just put your phone away? Can you just pay attention, right, rather than saying, <laughs> you know, talk to them and say, look, if you need to do something, just leave the room and give the space because it sucks energy away. And so, mm. you know, that, that's my fear that I'm just kind of going to react to people not showing respect. And so and that also opens the, the gate to like another type of conversation. And, uh, you know, we need to do this throughout the whole work because the fears become manifest. They're not hypothetical. They come out of every possible moment of the innovation process. Yeah, there must be a like a delicate balance there. If I mean, if you have a group of managers in the room and and you bring up 
the fears and especially all the if you start by talking about failed projects i mean it's not like you're building you're building uh recognition about the great work you've done i mean you understand what i'm at the, the balance between creating like a psychological space of fearlessness and also you know really emphasizing the risks of the kind of projects that they're going into that must be a a delicate balance well you know if you think about it think about how athletes work what do they do is they they watch videos of them failing all the time yeah to show how they're going to get better hmm. right they, they, and, and then they focus on what they're doing right and so it's that balance they're not ignoring the things they're doing wrong. They're trying to understand why they're doing it and when. And I think we don't do that enough. We just, sometimes we just want to focus on the bad and not the places where we need to improve. And it's, you know, it's not bad. It's just a, a, no. an opportunity for improvement or things that are getting in your way. And we want to reduce that. Cool. Yeah. So, so first thing is like, we've got to, we've got to walk the walk as innovation leaders and show that we're also human and we also have fears and we, we work through, through these together. And that way you're starting to open up so that people will, kind of unpack some of the things they're carrying around in their heads and their hearts and their stomach. And, mm. and the second thing to do, this might be even harder, is you know, as innovation leads, we have to act as a buffer sometimes between the innovation teams we're working with and their managers. So this might sound a bit strange because you know, we get paid by managers. They're the ones who hire us. Mm. But I've seen several instances where innovation teams, they've gotten past their fears, they've taken risks they've shown their bravery they've created something they're totally excited and then when they present their efforts the manager actually starts shouting at them right that's not at all what they had in mind it was completely different what they expected or wanted this was not it and i've been through some of these meetings they're the world's worst meetings right <laughs> you have this team which is doing all this they're just going for it and the managers, what's, what we're seeing is really the manager's fears come to life, right? They're not articulated, yeah. of course. And they're, you know, they're afraid of losing face or authority. They're afraid of not understanding the new idea. They're afraid of failure. They might even be afraid to acknowledge that their employees might have better ideas than they do. And it becomes this re really infected situation where, you know, the process that we've promised is not lining up with the reality on the ground. Yeah. And so I think as innovation leaders, we have two tasks when we see this happen, and it, it happens all the time, right? So the one thing, the first thing we need to do is, I think, we need to show the innovation team that no matter what, we've got their backs. So, so my mental picture that I try to use is Gandalf on the bridge of Moria facing the Balrog <laughs> and saying, you shall not pass, right? He's going to do everything he can so that the hobbits are going to you know, escape and get on with their mission. And, and that's really the, the innovation leads role with the innovation team. It's non-negotiable. Right? If you want to deliver a significant po positive change, you can't ask people to process their fears and take risks and then leave them hanging. You can't. Yeah. No, 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 no. Can't do it. Which must be really hard when, the, as you said, the managers are the ones paying. I mean, you, you, you can really... You can really make yourself uh, enemies of the managers, so to speak. How, yeah. do you, how do you handle that? I mean, <laughs> yeah. So that's so that's the other. That's the second part. Is yeah. <clears throat> if you haven't done it before, you need to get in touch with the manager and you know be clear. How do you give feedback? They might not know. 
right? And you need to start discussing their risks and fears. And you probably should have done this before is what I find out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you, know, you really you put the time with the innovation team. You don't really spend the time with the manager to do the same thing because, you know, it sometimes makes them feel uncomfortable. Most Swedish managers, they've attended training, leadership training, trust training, training, right? Yeah. They know it theoretically. They're just not very good at it practically. And so our, our, our second task around fears as an innovation leader is to help the managers lead and get the most out of their teams because the managers dislike uncertainty more than they like opportunity usually. So we've got to address this as soon as possible, right? They've, they've been assigned opportunity and risk, but it's not normally how they, how they work. So we have to spend that time with them to help them get through their fears too. And so, you know, it's all this human work. We talk about design processes and innovation methods, but at the end of the day, it's people. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've got to kind of get through the things that are holding us back as people and employees if we want to create true innovation and get these obstacles out of our way. We've got to start by recognize that they exist and talking about them and really reducing their impact on our work. So that fear, fear is like a, a big to-do for us. And I would say something... Something really, really, uh, it, it, this is really interesting, Rich, because I think, I think a, a lot of innovation projects die because of, because of fear. Uh, and I, I can look back at my own previous career and really see, see a number of, number of um, examples of this uh, where, and a, a lot of that had to do with not managing the fear of the, the management, yep. not really addressing that. Uh, in in the organization in, in in the early stages of the processes after a short break we'll get back and i want to hear more of how to how to handle this great okay and, yeah and we'll post a couple of links to articles about fear on our podcast website so you can kind of dig into this a little, yeah. little deeper if you're great. interested So welcome back. Uh, so the, the part one was about fear, and now, um, Rich, I'm gonna. I want you to talk more about you know what what happens next. All right. Thanks, Tobias. You know, we talked about fear, and we each have our individual fears. And the reality is, those fears are not just about us. They actually impact all the other people around us. And you know, that's a good reminder that innovation's a team sport. If we want to create mm. the best, most valuable, and feasible ideas. We need other people. It's it's hard, somewhat impossible to do it all by yourself. Yeah. And it points to this, you know, difference, critical difference between invention and innovation. The wise Roger Martin, he writes, invention is inventor driven. It's the creator. He has an idea. He wants to create something new, but it really doesn't have to have any value to anyone else except the creator. Whereas yeah. innovation is human driven. It has to create something valuable for someone else, practically, economically, or socially. Hmm. So innovation is a team sport. We do it together with others. And we hear a lot about the importance of creating trust or creating so psychological security. And, you know, these are all really good things. And, and the, the challenge, though, is I see a lot of these initiatives, they happen separately in some kind of an organizational vacuum. 
And often these discussions and well-intentioned investments, they're just too far from reality, right? Let's, we're going to go through psychological safety training and we have a discussion or we do a workshop and then it's like, okay, to be us back to work. By the way, you have to deliver this by four o'clock on my desk today. And it's like, well, you know, the, it, it's good in theory, harder in practice. Yeah. So the best way that I've seen and experienced, and this, you know, this goes back through my entire career, Way back in my, my wasted youth when I worked in the Swedish film industry, the best way that I've seen, you know, and this goes back into my wasted youth as a, as a, a worker on Swedish feature films, right? The best way to build innovative and trusting culture is to ask people to create something together in teams. We build together. B making things together builds trust it builds psychological safety. It helps us reduce our fears. You know, McKinsey a while ago, they wrote the best description of culture I've ever seen. They said, culture is the way things get done here. Yeah. Right? Not words, how we do things. Mm -hmm. As and my colleague, our, our colleague says, um, uh, Leif, culture is uh, what, how you do things when, when you think no one's looking. Yeah. And, and our employee engagement, which we're all trying to uh, increase, is how people feel about the way things get done when no one's looking. Mm. So it's actions. We watch and we see what's happening around us. They, they impact us more than words that we read and hear or are on the wall. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what I've seen is when we create and build something together, we actually start creating and changing the work culture. So, so if we want to create this culture of innovation, you have to get people started in teams to create those changes. And then all sorts of, uh, you know, interesting things happen. So part of it is when you're working with other people, you're going to have to deal with fears on kind of a one-on-one -on -one and a group basis so that you're not blocking things. And the mm -hmm. other thing we like to do in high-performing and well-functioning teams is we want to bring people together who are good at different things. Right? If everyone's too similar or knows the same thing, it's hard to come up with something new. I, I've coached teams that are full of creators, great ideas, they get nothing done. I've had teams <laughs> of project managers, their ideas aren't so good, but it's delivered on time and on budget. And so we want a mix of those things. And innovation teams gives us the opportunity to finally break down you know, all those silos that everyone complains about. Yeah. And right? we've been talking a bit about that because it's, it's my... my my, the, the, my picture of reality is that, you know, when, when you start talking about innovation efforts in large organizations, the kinds that raise their hand, I want to be part of that. Th those are the creative types uh, and, yeah. you know, the ones that do not have this fear and, and that uh, really want to see, see things change. And, and they're great people, but a group contain, you know, containing just that kind of personality type, as you said, Great ideas, but it's not gonna. It's not gonna. It's not gonna happen. Yeah, most and, often. Yeah, no, that's a great point, and we need both of these. Innovation needs both of these groups of people as co-creators, and you know, it. You know, one of the ways we can explain this is we also we often follow the double diamond design method, right? And it has parts that are divergent; they go out. They're exploratory. Yeah. It's uncertain. Then we have convergent. We narrow down. We analyze. We make choices and produce. Typically, we people are better at one thing or than the other. It's like just what you said. The creators are all the divergent types. They like exploring. 
you know, so the engineers and project managers are much more convergent, like to analyze and make choice to produce. And we need a balance of this uh, to, to deliver something that's really great. And the, the creative process, the innovative process, it gives a kind of, you know, sheltered workshop to put these people together and practice letting go of our fears and being brave and collaborating. Because mm -hmm. when we create and work in teams, all of those things, the fears and the conflicts that reside in our heads, that's when they typically come out. Yeah. Right? And you think about this just in yourself, right? Think about the time when you're trying to explain something. You've got a great idea and you're trying to explain it to someone who thinks completely different from us. Oh my God, I had this mm -hmm. experience last week. I'm explaining and explaining. I was just like, I must be doing something completely wrong. And it's just, you know, someone's in a different headspace and I've got to figure that out. Or when someone's taking up too much space and we feel we can't say anything. Or when we see something we know is wrong and we keep our mouth shut anyway. Right? And so this is our job as innovation leads is to bring these things up and not let people be quiet. We bring out the introverts. We, 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 we find a space for a kind of safe conflict. Yeah. Processing yeah, our the, fears. The conflict between the people that only see the problems and the, pe the people that only see the possibilities. And as you said, I mean, the, the importance of having both those types of personalities and roles in, in the innovation team. Yeah. And that, that's what we're trying to do. We want to lead teams through this creative process by facing these fears and conflict and collaboration challenge directly and openly in a way that's human. And I might even say loving, right? We want to have that, that loving kindness, that human kindness to help people get through this because we need to show the humanity in the work that we're doing. And when we mm. do that, you know, we unleash an amazing amount of power. I had a couple of coaching sessions uh, last month. I'm working with people who are way behind in their projects. Yeah. They're carrying around a lot of fears, right? Not succeeding, their fear of not saving face, their fear of not pleasing their boss. And when the coaching sessions were done, one person said to me, oh my God, I feel like a shackle has been unlocked from my wrists, literally, right? <laughs> so they're walking around with a ball and chain, like, oh my God, dragging yeah. me down. And it's like, no, we're just gonna, we're gonna talk about that on Unlock It. And another one said, as my priest says, show your wound so that he knows how to treat it. I'm like, huh, <laughs> design priest, innovation rabbi. I, I don't know. I think I like that title a lot. Obviously, you're having a huge impact there. And, and it is. It's all about, right, they're afraid. And we're going to talk about it. Mm -hmm. and we're going to show you a way through. And when you get through it, it's like you're going to realize that what the things that are holding you back are just, they're just, you're making them up in your head. And once we let them go, we can kind of move, move forward. And this is so so much a cultural issue. I mean, the, 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 as you said, create a loving sort of environment. Uh, I mean, in most organizations, that sounds like mission impossible. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, it, it's a great it's a great challenge. My my both my parents were teachers. They were incredible teachers. I remember my mom was a fifth grade teacher, and she had all these troubled kids in her classes and. They'd come into the classes kind of broken down and they'd leave, you know, kind of uh, charged up at the end of the year. And I said, you know, what was your secret? And she said, well, I, I loved every student I had. And I yeah. thought, wow, <laughs> that's a imagine. Imagine if you could say that. I love every one of my my coworkers and my my staff. That's kind of that's an amazing thought of how yeah. you kind of move forward. But, you know, just kind of in a, 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 I have a good example of this teamwork, right? 
of, of mm-hmm. what what happens when 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 things come together. And here's an example of a, a, I, what I thought had a really unfortunate ending. Right. Okay. I was I was hired by a client. This is a number of years ago. I was hired by a client in the ener- energy industry. I had worked with them for on and off for a long time. There was one customer segment that they'd been trying to reach and do business with for years and years, and they just never succeeded. And, you know, the board had identified this as, you know, one of the main objectives of the year is to figure out how to, how to you know, increase the business with them. And my contact there, she convinced them to do a design sprint to see if we could crack this challenge. And she found a project owner who wanted to try it. And we ended up putting together a very diverse team of talented and knowledgeable employees who, who agreed to go through this week-long process. Okay, all, all good. Yep. At the end of day three of the sprint, right, this is Wednesday afternoon. And the team had come up with, I would say, a very ambitious technical idea. It was completely customer-driven. And the energy in the room was, you know, through the roof. And just as we were about to end that day and kind of get prepared to the prototype day on Thursday, the project owner came forward and said, you know, this was all really good, but what they really wanted, they had found this Excel spreadsheet that someone else had created and used for a target group that was somewhat similar. And, you know, all this stuff was really exciting. She, they turned out to have a completely different idea. It was a preconceived solution, and they asked the team to you know, give up the, day, the last three days of the work and test this Excel spreadsheet instead. <laughs> okay, so... Nightmare. Right? Yeah, really, right. <laughs> Thank you very much for three days of working your heart out, and, you know, I, it's totally worthless. So, needless to say, the, the, the atmosphere in the room became very <laughs> tense, right? You were waiting for something to happen. The team was, like, incredibly mad at the project owner. They had put 110% effort into this sprint and innovation process. They felt angry and they felt cheated. It was a total breakdown. It's 3 p.m. and we have a couple of hours to decide what to prototype on day four. And, and so, you know, I'm leading this whole process. I need to kind of step in. And so I, I, I did. I, you know, it was completely quiet in the room. So you could hear a pin drop. And I said, you know, this is actually an easy choice, right? You can accept the project manager's decision. And, you know, it'll be really easy for you tomorrow. But you might feel disappointed. And no one's going to blame you for choosing that, right? Maybe you, you'll blame yourself, but no one else will blame you. Mm-hmm. He said, or you could follow what you believe in. Right, all that you've worked for. But if you do that, you've got to be prepared to fight for it. Because some of the people, and you were talking about this, Tobias, the upper management might get a little, you might scare them with this change you think is necessary. So I said, yeah. if, you, if you're prepared to fight for this idea, then go for it. But no one will think less of you if you admit you really don't want to have that fight, right? We're afraid of conflict. If it comes to that, that would well. be okay. So... <laughs> It's completely silent in the room for three or four minutes, right? Everyone's sitting and kind of chewing on this choice. And then finally, one team member, he was perhaps the most trusted in the whole team, he said, I want to fight for it. And then everyone just kind of, you know, (laughs) and they're like, I want to fight for it too. That's what they wanted to do. And all of a sudden, the energy in the room was back at its peak again. 
except for maybe the project owner withdrew in a little bit of a huff, right? Remember that fear of having your staff show they're smarter than you are? So, Ooh, so yeah. the, the project owner was a little, and, oh. but the energy in the team. So Thursday, they created this amazing interactive prototype in, in PowerPoint. The research team tested it on Friday. They live streamed the interaction. The difficult customer group, they love the solution. They were like, let's do business right away. And the bar afterwards on Friday afternoon, everyone's toasting their work. They felt like winners. So that was kind of the end of it for me. I don't really know what yeah. happened after that until about four years later. And one of the team members was working somewhere else. They contacted me about a similar job. And I said, hey, what happened to that project? And they started laughing. Ah, it ended up being the Excel spreadsheet, right? None of the decision makers <laughs> wanted to invest resources in that solution, even if the customers wanted it. And the customers didn't like the Excel spreadsheet, so that didn't really work either. So it was like a complete waste of time. And, and I said, oh, that, well, that's disappointing. And then, then they said, well, you know, but the team that worked and fought together that week, they became the highest performing team in the entire organization. They had the highest level of trust, they delivered the best results. The relationships built during that innovation teamwork where they worked through their fears and their risks that yielded dividends that no one ever measured, but that everyone involved felt. And I thought that was, you know, what a great, what a great ending because we don't measure that. We should measure that in our innovation work. We look at practical yeah. results, but we never really measure the cultural, cultural impact of teamwork, right? How it produces this huge dividend that keeps on giving. Mm. You know, now we've had that, we've had that feedback a lot of times. You know, when we talk to customers after doing like the the science sprint or stuff, something like that, that uh, that intangible uh, feeling, and also the processes that that you know that the decision making processes that you have in a design sprint, uh, they they are often picked up uh, and you know micro used in in different uh, ways and. We should have some way of measuring that. I don't know how, but it well, would be great because because um, that is really a, a side effect of, of this kind of work that is too little talked about, I think. Yeah, we focus completely on the end product, right? But yeah. the process, if you think about what these teams do, is they work through their fears and they work through their conflicts and they build trust and they work with people who are different from they are. And they are able to, even if it doesn't work in the end, they're able to create something, you know, new and impactful. And, uh, you know, that's an amazing experience. I had another assignment, a major media company in Sweden. And we were also doing this innovation training and innovation projects. And on one project group, there were four women. They had probably worked in this organization for 10 to 20 years as producers and, and TV personalities. They had never worked together before. And they were put together on one task assignment and they ended up creating what became like a major strategy to reach a really hard to reach target audience. Uh, and, and that it affected, you know, a after this, after they created the strategy and it was rolled out, you know, they were able to connect with this group in a way they had never been able to do before. And so after, after we had done the, the initial innovation work, two of the women said, Hey, this was great. We want to keep working together like this. And you know, of course the organization said, no, no, you gotta produce this show and you gotta produce this show. This is all really nice, but you know, back back to your normal work. And so again, they had kind of created this their own culture of innovation, and they ended up leaving. They said, Well, screw this. You know, we're gonna start our own we're gonna start our own content company. 
And you know, at the end of the day, they're actually now they're they're selling content back to their original employer. And I would have to say, Tobias, you know, they're they're, they're doing content <laughs> with a design thinking foundation, and they are clearly the two most happiest people at work that I know. You know, every time I see them, they're just like they're just so happy doing what they're doing, doing together, creating. They're very different people, and I'd say like, wow, what a what a loss for the organization to lose these yeah. two superstars. They just they couldn't recognize it because they were too focused on on the thing. Business as usual. And not yeah. and not, you know, the change. And I think, you know, this is what they did. This group, they overcome fears, they build trust. That's creating a culture of innovation. We mm. build together in teams with a diverse group of workmates under the leadership of an innovation leader who can lead the human and the personal work, not just the tools and methods. We create these cultures by creating a new way of working together. And it's just incredibly yeah. fun to be part of. Walk the walk, not just talk the talk. Yeah. Actually doing. Doing. We do to think. That was uh, that was another quote that I had seen, right? We we make to understand. It helps us process our thoughts rather than trying to think everything out beforehand. That's really interesting. Yeah, we should we should uh, or we, but organizations should do more uh, and and really test the power of this teamwork. Yeah, but but as you guys were talking about before, right? The uh, the resistance system of yeah. organizations is strong, so we 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 like to reject the corporate immune system. Corporate immune system. We like to reject yeah. new things. So um, there's a link we're posting on the website if you want to read more about it. Uh, Four ways to build innovative teams by Greg Sattel and most nimble and harvest. Yeah, creative companies run on trust. So okay, yeah. See, see, go to hellofuture.com and the podcast, and under this episode, these uh, links will be okay. So, so uh, we'll be right back, and uh, then we're going to talk about some of the the risks, some of the problems, some of the uh, little, other little, things too. Little warning sign flashing with all this. Warning sign flashing. Okay, talk to you soon. <laughs> Okay, so now we talked about fear. We talked about the importance of really doing the teamwork, uh, doing and not just talking. And now, Rich, final part. Well, you know, Tobias, the last thing I want to leave you with today is something that might get in the way of all this work. And this is going to feel really counterintuitive when I say it. So I think some of you listening will either recoil like, oh my God, that was really stupid, or feel a sigh of relief like, oh, I recognize this. So it's this, right? Sometimes experts can increase people's fears and sometimes they can actually shut down the co-creation and innovation work when they're part of a team. So sometimes experts can stop innovation work instead of promoting it. And, and that sounds a little weird in some way because yeah. we, you know, we need experts to create and deliver new stuff. We can't all just be amateurs, right? Kind of no. goes without saying we, we depend, we rely on experts. Yeah, and the, t and the teams need experts, don't they? Because, uh, I mean, the teams we were just talking about, they need experts because otherwise, well, the whole thing, if we just have the creative, high-flying, uh, you know, new thinkers, they will crash into reality. The experts are needed to, to, you know, give us the picture of this is reality and this is actually what's possible to do, right? Yeah, and I would say that the, the answer is we need the right type of experts, 
because we know that the experts are going to be on our teams, but not all experts uh, equal innovation. And so, so uh, you know, I've been reading David Epstein's great book called Range, Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World. And, and I, I got incredibly inspired by it. And I, I recommend highly that everyone who works in innovation and transformation uh, work read this book, Range by David Epstein. And, and I'll hmm. tell you, I'll, so I'll tell you how I stumbled upon it, right? His, his, uh, yeah. his thesis is that, um, you know, we need to have T-shaped people. People are not yeah. only deep, but also, you know, have, have breadth to really figure out what we need to do as we move into the 21st century. And, and I stumbled across this because I was trying to figure out what happened in a, in a situation I was in uh, a year or two ago. I was leading innovation work with a region in Sweden. Their, their goal was to create a five to 10 year vision, right? And they brought together all these researchers and doctors and nurses and innovation leaders and a few other miscellaneous people, really high level of expertise among this group. Yeah. And as a facilitator, I was leading the group. I was dividing them into smaller teams. They needed, each team was gonna create a different strategy and a vision for the future. And one of the tools I was using, as I usually do, is I was using storytelling to kind of create this final picture of what they had created. So, you know, so far, so good. Yeah. So as a lead up to the storytelling exercises and methods, I'm using various scientific explanations that I found and read on why storytelling is so effective, right? So it's the latest in brain research on the physical effects of storytelling has in our brains. It wasn't controversial. It wasn't strange. It was accepted scientific knowledge, right? We use stories because they're effective, because they're impacting our brains in, in ways that we are not really aware of. Yeah. And so after this was done and the client was really pleased, I was talking to uh, one of my clients and they're like, oh, you know, the, we got a complaint from one of the participants. They worked at Sweden's, one of Sweden's largest hospitals, a very well-respected doctor. Huh. And uh, he was, he thought the workshop was good, but he was really angry with the facilitator, right? <laughs> Me. <laughs> so, and I'm like, like, huh, I wonder what was, so what I'm wondering, like, what did I say that was that wrong? Right. I didn't, I didn't think anything was really that wrong that someone would get upset about it. But obviously this guy, he got all bent out of shape and he thought that it me, you know, as an innovation leader, I should focus on facilitating. I needed to keep my mouth shut about science and medicine. And so he, okay. he hadn't participated in the storytelling exercise. He, was, he thought my explanation about the brain thing was, you know, he didn't want to hear me say that. I should have stayed in my lane. Huh. So it was the you explained to the group how storytelling works. Yeah, how the physical effects. And how of it affects the brain. And yeah. okay. Scientific. It was, I was using scientific facts. And, and I, was not, I was not a scientist. No. So, so my, fir my first assumption, right, is, oh, my God, you know, I'm, I, I screwed that up. What, you know, I, I assumed he was like a neuroscience expert on the brain, and he was going to tell me something even more interesting that I could use. So I wanted to be like, well, fine, what? What? Yeah. what? Tell me, what did I say that was wrong? What, what can we... And the client said, no, 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 he, he's, not an or he's not a brain expert. He's an orthopedic surgeon. He does uh, knee and, you know, he does knee operations. Okay, <laughs> okay, I thought, but he knows a lot about the brain, right? No, 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 he doesn't really know much about it either, but he was a, he's a very well-respected doctor and expert in his field, and he thought only those with deep expertise in that field 
medicine, science should speak out. Everyone else should kind of keep their trap shut. And so I was like, whoa. So that was kind of like, it was, the expert wasn't exerting expertise. They were exerting status and power and title that comes with expertise, right? If if Mm. anyone can talk about medicine, right? Why are we going to listen to these, you know, extremely well-paid doctors, even if they don't know what they're talking about? And it wasn't the first time I clashed with an expert, but it was it was the most absurd response I had ever heard, and and so it kind of got me thinking. I, then I started digging in as like, well, what is is anyone else having these troubles with experts? And then I found David Epstein's book, book, and he had you know he has a scientific explanation for why experts can be obstacles to innovation. And first of all, he says experts have reached their expertise and focus and immerse themselves in a subject area, usually in areas where things are known and predictable. We see a lot of this in doctors or even a concert pianists, right? Concert pianists are not, they're not, you know, jamming. They're practicing and practicing, practicing in Mozart's piano sonatas over and over again. They'll do it in a little Mm. bit of a different way, but it's very deep knowledge. Innovation isn't that. It's about the unknown and the unpredictable. And so what David Epstein says is these experts gain their status and power by highlighting their expertise. And they like that status and power. Who doesn't, right? They don't want yeah. to let that go. You know, we, we saw this even over the last two years, right? Uh, experts having a hard time admitting mistakes or hearing other opinions. But Epstein and Range, he explains that generalists can be more curious and open to other people and ideas. And that's necessary for innovation. So it's not so much whether you're an expert or not. It's the, it's the mindset you bring of, of being open and listening and being curious. And, and there are experts who are curious and open, right? Those are yeah. the ones who win the Nobel Prize because what they've done is they found something completely new in their, in their normal process and say, you know, hey, the, what's going on here? I, I remember watching a Snilen Speculera, the, the program where they yeah. used to have all the, you know, the Nobel Prize winners and the science guys would come on and say, yeah, I was doing this experiment and something weird happened and I decided to follow that and then he won the Nobel Prize. So the experts who are curious and open that's who we want on an innovation team rather than expertise itself. How do, how do, you, how do you single them out? <laughs> well, that's a, real, that's a really good question. And I think, you know, I think one of the things you want to do is if you have experts on your innovation team, you need to, again, the same thing with the fears. You need to talk with them and say, you know, we value what you're doing, uh, but we want to make sure that you feel comfortable with letting go a little of your expertise and status in order to listen and create something together with the generalists. And the ones who say, you know, I can't do that, I, you know, you need to get them off of your team. And the ones who maybe, you know, maybe you want someone who's maybe not, you know, maybe not the top, top, top expert, but maybe someone who's an expert on the way. And maybe yeah. they're more interested. But again, it's more of the people aspect than the expertise, exp, you know, aspect. Yeah. Because it's people, 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 people. Innovation always starts and ends with people. Yeah, and personal reflection, I, I think still there must be a problem in, in finding those experts that are open-minded because everyone wants to be perceived as, you know, I, oh yeah, I'm open for new ideas, but maybe, maybe they aren't. So they'll, they'll answer a question, will you, will you join this group being an expert in your specific field, but will you be really open to new ideas? I mean, very few will say no, but maybe they will act in a different way. What do yeah. you say? Hard to judge what people do rather than what yeah. they say. And that's, yeah. that's always a risk that we take. But I think the bigger, the bigger thing is, is when we see this happening, we also have to act there to make sure oh. that the experts don't shut down the innovation, 
rather than, you know, they, they can increase people's fears and reduce the teamwork sometimes, you know, as can people who are, who are you know, uh, exploiting people's fears. Uh, they, maybe they're not even experts. Maybe they're just manipulators. And again, we, we just have to be, we have to be aware of this. This is just, that's mm-hmm. what people are. And again, our work is this, we're managing people. We manage people to, to, to deliver innovations. It's not, the op- it's not the other way around. Yeah, people, people, people. And, and we like being experts. I mean, look at you and you and I, we've been around for a while. We like the status of, or that we've attained. And, you know, sometimes uh, we also have to be open and say, oh, you know, we, our, our approach has to be we can always learn to do something newer and better. That's kind of the, the, the nature of our business. And once we stop doing that, we stop being good innovation leaders. No, it's it's uh, it would be impossible not to be open to 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 work with what we do and not be open to new ideas and and uh, new ways of doing things. I would get run over by my young colleagues every day. <laughs> that's why that's why we have them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so just kind of to wrap this whole thing up. If we're going to be really good at innovation, if we're going to deliver positive and significant changes, we have to think about these three things. One is that our individual fears, they're a potential obstacle to the work of innovation because it's all about uncertainty and opportunity. And our, our role in this is we need to call attention to these fears so they become visible to us and they become less scary, right? Yeah. We have to make our fears less scary and that requires good support and reliable management because we wanna create brave and courageous innovators and employees and coworkers. That's what we That's all great want. Points. Yeah. And, and, and one of the best ways to do this, to build the trust and reduce fears, is to build things together in teams. And that's when we move from talking about the things to experience what a new culture of innovation feels like. We do something together. And as we've seen, sometimes it matters less if you succeed because the teamwork itself might be the most important result of the work. It changes our culture to an innovation culture. We feel it. Mm. We yeah. feel it. Feel it by doing and then the last piece is, you know, be attentive to experts in innovation work who actually increase fears and reduce collaboration really through their own fears and limitations, fear of losing, fear of letting go. And sometimes it's better to have curious generalists than deep experts on an innovation team, however illogical it may sound. We'll get to the experts once we figure out what to do, but I think we've got to be careful. We don't want to bring people in who are going to make things worse rather than make things better all three of these topics we'll probably delve into them in future podcasts and again if you want to read more we've posted some links um, that you can uh, delve into great talk rich really um thoughtful i i really hope our listeners have um have picked up some of this but one thing i would like to encourage anyone who's actually listened all the way to the end is if you have examples of some of these things that you've experienced in your workplace, whether it's innovation work or other work, whether it's about fears or teamwork or experts, share those with us. Send us an email, connect with us on LinkedIn. Let us know what you've been experiencing. Um, and and you know we can start using that as discussion and springboards for, for further podcasts and blog posts and other things. So fear, teamwork, experts, what do you think? With that, thank you very much, Rich. And if you have any specific questions or if you have topics you would like us to discuss, uh, mail us at podcast at hellofuture.com. 
Take care, everyone. And uh, as we said a couple of times, there will be a low, you know, a bundle of links if you want to read more about this. Uh, go to hellofuture.com and go to podcast, and under this episode, you'll find them. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye, Rich. Thank you very, very much for joining us. Thanks, Tobias. Bye, everyone. Mm-hmm.